Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. How are we going? You guys doing all right? Yes. Chilled. Feeling the chilled vibe this morning. You all right, Denise? Yeah, you're good. Fantastic. Hey, well, if you came in late this morning, you didn't hear my name. I'm Josh. And uh, I will be sharing uh, with you this morning. Uh, We have been doing a series on prayer uh, for the whole of Term 2, which means that we have got this morning and we have got next Sunday left. And then we move into a new theme, uh, which is going to be intimacy. Of course, prayer and intimacy go hand in hand. So just because we're moving out of prayer and into intimacy doesn't mean that you're not going to be hearing a lot of stuff about prayer because you can't have intimacy with the Father and not recognize that prayer is a critical uh, part of that. And so we kicked off our series in, in April and we talked about what prayer is. We kind of defined it for the purposes of this series. We talked about prayer essentially being you know, intentionally looking for connection with God. It's like, you know, there's an intentionality behind I'm trying to build connection with God in this space. And so it doesn't just look like, you know, the traditional, I'm in my bedroom on my knees, my hands together on the side of my bed. You can be doing it out in nature. You can be doing it in your car. You can be doing it through worship. There's lots of different ways that you can quote unquote pray, uh, but essentially it's just intentionally going after a connection with God. And we talked about why we pray, the three main reasons behind why we pray. Number one, we pray to build intimacy with the Father. Prayer is one of the ways that God has set us up to build our relationship with God. Number two, we pray to become more like Jesus. When we pray, prayer has the power to transform the way we think, the way we view life, the way we view people. And again, it's one of the ways that God has set us up to transition and to transform into Jesus's likeness. We see in the Gospels that when Jesus prayed on one occasion up the top of the mountain, he was literally transformed. So if prayer has the power to transform Jesus, it certainly has the power to transform us. And we looked about the fact, uh, we looked at the fact that one of the main reasons we pray is because for some insane reason, which I can't figure out, God in his infinite wisdom has decided that he wants to use us to implement his will on the earth. I don't know why he did that because like I said before, we're all messed up. Surely it would be a much better idea for God to just say, you know what, I'll do it. But he's decided he wants to flow through Dee, he wants to flow through Kira, he wants to flow through Nicole and Robin and every single person here. And so one of the reasons we pray is because we release the supernatural power of God into a situation. And that's the way that God has set things up. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue, right? The fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. For some reason, God has said, you know what? I want to create a system where I work through you, we co-labored together. So those are the three main reasons behind why we pray. And then we've had a lot of fun over the last couple of months talking about spiritual temperaments and how God talks to us out of his word and how he talks to us out of community and how he talks to us out of, you know, impressions. And you can remember the five, I won't ask you for them, but the five filters for finding father's voice. That's right. Uh, another F word there at the end. Uh, we had a lot of fun, but I thought, you know, we've got two Sundays to go. We've looked at what prayer is, we've looked at why we pray, but let's look this morning and next Sunday on how to pray, right? Now, I know on the one hand, you're like, well, I mean, prayer isn't something that you can kind of regiment, it's not formulaic, it's not a system-based thing, and that's all true, and yet at the same time, 
Jesus said, this is how you do it. And then provided a formula and a system on how to pray. And so the wonderful thing about the Bible is that it constantly holds tensions between two points. So on the one hand, you cannot regulate a relationship, which is what prayer essentially flows out of, a relationship with God. And yet on the other hand, Jesus himself said, hey, let me give you some tips that might be helpful when it comes to prayer. If you've ever wondered, man, what? I don't know how to pray. I don't know if anyone's ever thought that. I think this all the time. I'm like, I don't know if I know how to do this properly. Or as my kids would say, properly. Like, I don't, you know, I find myself in situations all the time, I'm like, God, how do I pray in this situation? Or I'm at home, I'm like, how do I pray? The good news is, if you've ever had any self-doubts around your knowledge and awareness of how to pray, you're in very good company because Jesus was surrounded by his disciples and by a whole group of essentially, quote unquote, not Christians because they hadn't yet recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, but the Jewish people that he was talking to when he talked about how to pray were Bible-believing, church-attending, praying people. So very often what I like to do when I read the Bible is I like to try and go, okay, where am I in this story? Like, where would I fit? And what we tend to do a lot of the time is we tend to impose ourselves into the hero. So if you're reading David and Goliath, we read it and we go, well, I'm, I'm obviously David. But sometimes you need to read it and go, okay, well, maybe I'm not the hero. What if I'm the villain in the story? You can actually learn a lot by putting yourself into a story as the villain and going, okay, well, what, what are the mistakes that this guy made along the way? Now, when you read Matthew chapter 5, which we're going to look at in a moment, and you go, okay, where do we fit into this? You would be the people sitting on the grassy hillside listening to Jesus talk. Okay, the Bible-believing, praying, church-attending people. I won't call them Christians because we all understand that Christians are different to Jewish people and that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And at the time, the Jewish people weren't there yet. But that's essentially who Jesus is talking to. If he were to deliver the same message today, it would be in a church with Christians. Those are the people that he's speaking to. If I put myself in the story, I'm probably, being honest, one of the Pharisees, right? One of the religious... Ugh, one of the religious leaders, teachers, preachers of the day. That's just the role that I would have. It's not a very nice role. Not every Pharisee was ridiculous. Uh, in fact, in Jewish culture, if you're reading out of the Torah or reading out of the Bible and you get to a Pharisee, this isn't within um, Christendom in Jewish culture, so Messianic Jews, it's, it's traditional for them to just boo and hiss whenever Pharisees are kind of mentioned, like they're the, like a pantomime and the villain entering from the side of the stage. Uh, so that's kind of what I would fit in. So what I want to do this morning and next Sunday is I want to look at the Lord's Prayer. I don't think you can do a whole series on prayer without looking at the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to sort of um, deconstruct this a little bit. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard messages on the Lord's Prayer and people kind of deconstructing the Lord's Prayer and this is what Jesus is actually saying. In which case, this is going to be a great reminder for you. Uh, although I thought about it, I was like, you know what, I've been in church all my life. I don't know if I've ever really heard someone like actually systematically go through the Lord's Prayer. And certainly I've never done it. So if you've been here as long as I've been here, you've not heard it. Anyway, so what I find interesting about this is I'm going to give you five things this morning and then a few more things next week. But the five things this morning are almost all to do with the posture and the position that we take before we start praying. Because Jesus actually taught a lot about the mindset that we have to have and the posture we have to have and the attitude we have to have before we start praying. This is important. And so one of the things that Jesus did is he recognized when he was speaking to these Jewish people that there were two main groups of people 
that would have influenced their idea and their concept of what prayer looked like and what prayer was supposed to accomplish. See, in the Jewish culture, there were these two groups. One group were the Pharisees, so the leaders of their church, their pastors, their teachers, their religious leaders. So again, put yourself into their shoes. A lot of their example around what prayer was and how prayer worked was taught to them and preached to them and modeled to them by their church leaders. But the second group of people that they would have also been heavily influenced by were the Romans that they were living with. They were under um, Roman rule. They were under Roman oppression. And of course, the Roman culture, the Greek culture was polytheistic. And so they worshipped multiple gods. They would worship Zeus and Aphrodite and, um, you know, cappuccino, whatever it was that they were uh, worshipping at the time. And so the Jewish people were kind of sandwiched in between these two groups of people. Like, here's how our religious leaders tell us to do it, and here's how the culture of the day does it. And both of these two influences are heavily influencing how I pray and what I think the role of prayer is. And so what Jesus does is before he teaches them how to pray, he just addresses both of these approaches. First thing he says Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, I think I've got it up there. He says this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, hypocrites was Jesus' word for the religious leaders of the day. He was just always calling them hypocrites. Every time he saw them, he would say to their face, you hypocrites. So everybody listening knew that when he said the word hypocrites, he's talking about the religious leaders. It's like his... He was just not very impressed with them at all. In fact, I think I've said it from the front here before, but you often hear it, hear it said that the most dangerous place in the world to be is between a mother cub and her baby cubs. Like you hear all sorts of horrible... You get between a mother cub and her baby cubs, and she's just like feral, right? I think the most dangerous place in the world to be is between God and someone that's genuinely searching for him. You get in between... God and someone that's genuinely, you make it harder for them to find God by the way that you live or the way that you talk or the example that you set or the advice that you give. Man, I would not want to be in that place that is dangerous. And when we look at Jesus, he's so patient and kind and tolerant and loving, unless you're making it harder for someone to get close to him, in which case he just nuts off. And the religious leaders of the day, unfortunately, most of them, not all of them, we see some of them coming to him privately at night, so they're not getting in trouble with their friends, but most of them were making life harder for the average person to get close to God, and so Jesus had zero tolerance. And so he was constantly calling them hypocrites, vipers, snakes, just really offensive language. And so when he says, don't be like the hypocrites, he's talking about the pastors, the teachers, you know, the religious leaders of the day. He says, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by other people. Now, fortunately, this is not a huge problem in 2021, right? I don't have people coming to me on a semi-regular basis saying, Josh, ah, I did it again. I was at the supermarket, I was just buying my groceries, and this urge came over me, and I ended up just loudly praying in the supermarket, and you know what, I just did it because I wanted to look cool. Like, no one, no one comes and says that to me, right? In 2021, we have the opposite issue, right, where we have all these Christians that are like, I believe in prayer, and I believe in God, and I believe in the power of the words. Like, do you pray? Not really. So we have like a different issue. But in Jesus' day, this was like a big deal. And so here's what Jesus is saying essentially to the people listening. He says, when you pray, you've got to pray with the right motives. 
So he said, the religious leaders of the day, your pastors, your teachers, a lot of them are praying, but their motives are wrong. They're praying because they want to impress people. They're praying because they want to look good. He says, they have received their reward in full. In other words, God's not going to answer their prayers. They're not going to get anything out of them. They're praying to look good. They look good. That's fine. That's all they're going to get. So when we pray, we have to pray with the right motives. James says in James chapter 4, verse 3, that when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, right? So let me put it this way. God is far more interested in why you pray than what you say. That rhymes, so it must be true. Do you know, a study was done once, and they proved conclusively that people are more likely to believe a statement if it rhymes. <laughs> yeah, just a little, wee, a little wee tip for you there. So I spent ages trying to make that rhyme. Like God is more interested in why you pray than what you say. Our motives have to be right when we come to God and we start praying. So that's the first thing around positioning. Like make sure your motives are right. And sometimes, you know, we can trick ourselves. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man. In other words, this seems like the right thing to do. I feel like I've got the right attitude here, but you need to really step back and go, am I praying for the right reasons here? And then he addresses the group of people, uh, the Roman people, that was the other big influence into the Jewish person's life. And he says this about them. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans because they think they will be heard because of their many words. This is a fascinating concept that Jesus is unpacking here. What he says is, hey, look, these guys pray with the wrong mindset. The pagans, and pagans like to us, we sound like, it sounds like, oh, what is that, like idol worshippers or, you know, like grass skirts, face paints, you know, cannibals, like pagans are a really intense word. But in other translations, it just says Gentiles. And it literally means, you know, just the, the, the average person of the culture of the day. So he's just like, hey, everybody else, all the people out there that don't go to church and pray and, and you know, follow God. He says, this is their idea. Their idea is that they... The more they pray, the more likely it is that God will hear them. In other words, the people in the cultures around you have this mindset that they have to move God by their frustration. Like it's, it's their effort, their energy, their words, their prayers that moves God. He says, don't be like those people. You know, the word babbling, where he says, don't be babbling like the pagans, it's from a Greek word. I was doing some research during the week, and they think it's actually taken from the last name of a ruler sort of early in the day. And this particular ruler, so like the Greek word, I can't remember, the, the Greek word's like bobolet or something like that, you know, and it's taken from this guy's last name, bobolet. Don't write down bobolet, Janet, because I just made that up. But it's, some, it's, something, it's something like that. And... Um, but this, this particular ruler was famous for writing incredibly long and tedious poems. And that's where they've got the Greek word that we translate babbling. Like, it's just like, oh, it's just so boring. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, look, these guys are operating from this idea that I can convince God to move by my effort and my energy and my commitment and my enthusiasm. He says, that's not how you pray. Because the next verse, he says, you pray to your heavenly father. He knows what you need before you even ask him. He knows what you need before you even need it. You don't have to impress God with all this sort of thing. And so I'd say it like this. God isn't moved by our frustrations. He's moved by our faith. So the second thing that Jesus says is don't be like those guys. You have to pray with the right mindset. And the mindset is, yes, I'm going to pray, but 
I'm not going to twist God's arm into doing what I want him to do. He's not going to be impressed by, you know, how fervently I pray or how frenetically I pray or how frustrated I am when I pray. Uh, you know, he's not going to say, well, you know, you've only been praying for 15 minutes. If you'd prayed for 20, I would have totally done it. That's not how God works. So you've got to pray with the right mindset. So he addresses both of these two main issues that he's seeing in the culture, one from the religious leaders who are praying with the wrong motives, and then one from the pagan culture, which is, again, thinking that they can force or you know, coerce God into doing something by just nagging him and nagging him and nagging him. He says, look, that's no hurry. You don't have to do that with God. Like, he's, he's already got your back. You don't need to pray long-winded prayers. And then he makes this statement. He says this, this then is how you should pray. Now, imagine for a moment that I said, hey, exciting news, Activate. I've got a guest speaker in this morning and next Sunday. He's in very high demand. He's quite expensive, very hard to pin down. But we've got him for this morning and next Sunday. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the stage Jesus Christ. He's going to come and teach us how to pray today and next Sunday. Like, that would be exciting, right? You'd be like, whoa, I'm going to hear Jesus Christ preaching and teaching how to pray. You get your phones out, your notebooks out, you're writing stuff down. Next Sunday, I bet this place would be packed because word would have got out. Jesus is speaking at Activate Christchurch. He's teaching them how to pray. Everyone would be here wanting to know that. Well, I don't have Jesus Christ in person in the flesh, but we've got the next best thing because one guy was watching Jesus preach this sermon and he wrote it down. So this is kind of like the next best thing. This then is how you should pray. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you three more things. I've given you two already. Three more things around position and attitude. uh, And then we'll look at some of the more practical components uh, next Sunday to wrap up our series. But he says this. Our Father in heaven, and this is the NIV translation from Matthew. This prayer is also in some of the other gospels with a few different wordings. But I like the Matthew one because it's the first one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then other uh, gospels will say, for thine is the the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the first line. That's all we're looking at this morning is the first line. We're going to break it down. First thing he says is, our Father. Now, to us, we're like, yeah, we call... Godfather all the time. That's like a normal thing. But you've got to remember, in Jesus' day, this statement would have completely blown everybody's mind because they have spent thousands of years being taught that God is this big, scary God. He parted the Red Sea. He tore down the walls of Jericho. You know, if anyone got caught in sin, then they were just destroyed. If you went into the Holy of Holies and you hadn't, you know, you weren't a high priest and you hadn't done all that kind of stuff, then you would just be killed. If you touched the Ark of the Covenant, you'd be killed. If you didn't bring the right sacrifices, if you didn't have a sin offering, if you didn't have this, then you'd be killed. Like, he was a scary guy. And then Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you call him Father, like our Father. What he's talking about here is essentially access. Okay? And so the first thing you do when you start praying is you need to DTR. Do you guys know what DTR means, young adults? Define the relationship or determine the relationship. Exactly. So this is just a bit of, you know, Gen, what, what Gen are we up to? We have to like Gen Z now, Gen Y. What are we up to now? Gen Alpha, really. We're just moving into the Greek and then it's Gen Beta and, you know, like how the license plates just went from two letters to three letters and then just carried on. 
Um, so the first thing you've got to do is define the relationship. And here's, again, this is about positioning yourself and recognizing that when you come to pray to God, you're not just coming to this huge, powerful, although he is, and we'll get to that in a minute, but ultimately this is about access. Jesus is saying, hey, he's actually teaching a prayer that would not have been appropriate to pray if he didn't die on the cross. This is a New Testament prayer for New Testament believers, and Jesus is giving us the blueprint for it, knowing that he's going to go and die on the cross and create you know, unity with us and God once again. And so he's talking about access. And one of the, um, one of the main reasons that Jesus came, there's, there's lots of different reasons why Jesus came. If you flick through your Bible and you just do like a word search on the number of times that Jesus said, I came to do this, or I've come to do this, there's more than one thing. One of the reasons he came was to die on the cross. And he talks about that. But another one of the main reasons he came was to reveal to us the Father, to bring a complete new revelation, a new paradigm around who God is and, and what God's like and how we're supposed to relate to God. And so he talks about God all the time, and he's almost exclusively talking about God as the Father. So he says this, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, this is blowing the Jewish people's minds as they're sitting there listening to the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look at the birds of the year. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Uh, 1 John says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And then again, John says this, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we come to God in prayer, we come to him as his sons or his daughters. He's a loving father, and that's where we start from. That's how Jesus told us to approach God in prayer. And so when I pray, like I've talked about this a lot, I often will go for walks up and down the shingle road outside my house. I was out there again yesterday. When I pray, I always take a moment to just, uh, I guess, remind myself that first and foremost, he is my father. He's my, he's my dad. And so I will, I will picture in my mind, I'll picture him walking next door to me. Just, and we're walking up the road and he's, he's right there. And I can talk to him. I have the same access to him as I would have to my own father. I have the same access to him as I have to anybody else. There's nothing that stops me from accessing him. At any point, on any moment, in any day, any of us can just step straight into his presence like a son would to a dad. Like my kids, they come up to me, you know, they don't stop and think, ah, oh, am I okay with dad before I go and see him? They just bowl straight in. All right, so we're talking about access here. So we've got to have the right mindset we have to have the right motivations, and then we need to recognize that we are his children. He is our dad. There is nothing that he withholds from us. Uh, next thing, our father in heaven. And so, yes, he is our father. Yes, we have unlimited access to him. But at the same time, Jesus puts this in there. He says, hey, but you need to remember, he's still that awesome, awe-inspiring powerful God that you've been serving for the last few thousand years. The, the, the word that's used in the Bible to describe heaven, it literally means like powerful uh, in a position of authority. And so what, what Jesus is saying here is that he's still in authority. He's still above everything. He's a name above all names. He's the Lord above all lords. He's the God above all gods, right? He's, there's nothing that he can't do. And so the fourth thing that we do before we even start praying is that we recognize who God is. This is another thing that I do when I pray, is I just take the time to remind myself about who I'm praying to. You know, he is 
the king of all kings. And anyone that's ever heard me pray, even if it's in pre-church prayer meetings, like I, I, it's become such a habit now that it feels weird if I don't do it. Like I'll always start by just confessing who he is, right? You're the king above all kings, you're the Lord above all lords. And it's just, for me, it's a good way to get the juices flowing because I don't know about you. Sometimes I'll go to pray and I'm like, mind blank. I don't even know like where to start, like what am I doing? And so I'll just start on my walk. Um, So here's what I do. I will take a moment at the start of my prayer, my walk, whatever it is you want to call it, I will take a moment to try and focus myself on him. And I'll say things like, Holy Spirit, I just draw you around me now. Now, a lot of the stuff that we say, you can get real precious about and go, that's not theologically correct. The Holy Spirit's always with you. But a lot of our prayer is actually about repositioning ourselves and the way that we think and you know, what our views are on things. So I'll say things like, God, I lift you up. Well, that's not theologically correct. God's already lifted up. He's already in the heavenly realms. Jesus is already at his right hand. Yes, I know all that stuff. Shut up. <laughs> what, I'm, what I mean when I say, Jesus, I lift you up, is that in my life, in my mind, I am lifting my eyes to you again. I'm lifting you up because over the last couple of days or week, I've, I've pulled you down. I've, I've dropped my sight. You know, I've, you know, and so when you say, look, Jesus, I just invite you to come walk with me. Well, Jesus is always with you. He lives inside of you. Yes, I know he does. Shut up. What I mean is I am reminding myself that he's, he's here. And I'm just putting language around it. Okay, so I always start by saying, okay, Jesus, I just want to, you know, increase my awareness of you. And so I'll just take a moment to just picture him, picture him next door to me. If I'm in the car, he's in the passenger seat, never wears a seatbelt because he's a rebel. Right? Also, never tells me how to drive because he's considerate. <laughs> and he's not a woman. And, um, <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> uh, um, where was I? <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, so I, I just start with that and I just, I say the things that help me focus on him, Right? So that's how I start. And then I will start just recognizing who he is. I'll just start saying, you're the king of Bible kings, you're the Lord. And I get this stuff out of the Bible, right? The Bible is filled with different sentences that you can use about who God is. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the creator of the universe. I say, you hold the universe in your hand. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says that. In Psalms, it says he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. I say, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And then I think, that's not really that impressive. So I move on to something else. Right, because owning cows on a thousand hills, that's not a huge thing. So, you know, I, I say the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Like, God, you are walking around on, you've got so much money, God. You've got so much wealth. You've got access to so much stuff that you literally pave your roads with one of the most precious metals that we have on earth. You just walk on it. You know, this kind of stuff. You've got to know who he is. He is a God that exists outside of time can't even wrap your head around that. And, and I love to also, when I'm doing that, I love to remind myself out loud about how insignificant I am. And I will say things, like I'll say, God, I, I humble myself before you. You are God and I am not. And this is just healthy for me, right? Because otherwise I just end up thinking more of myself than I should. And I don't, I don't say, oh, I suck. I'm real bad at this. I just go, you're God, I'm not God. You know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I need your help. Like Paul writes, you know, in our weakness, he is strong. 
He says, I will rejoice and celebrate in my weakness then because essentially the weaker I am, the stronger he gets. And so I acknowledge my weakness. I've got Achilles heels. I've got issues in my life and I acknowledge them. I say, God, this is an area that I'm, I'm struggling with right now. I need your help in this space. God, this is an area that I'm, I'm okay in right now, but I can see in the future I could potentially make a mistake in this area. So, you know, keep me safe. That kind of stuff. You've got to be aware of where you're at. So you've got to um, recognize who God is. And then the last thing, and then we're going to be done. I'll give you five or ten minutes just to chat about it. Hallowed be your name. And that, that word hallowed, it means sanctified, it means separated, it means consecrated, it means set apart, it means holy. And so what Jesus is saying here is like, hey, before you start praying, here's what you do. Make sure your motives are right. These guys have got it wrong. Don't be like them. Make sure you've got a good mindset. It's not about impressing God or you know, just working yourself up into a lather so that he'll listen to you. He's already got your back. He already knows what you need. Make sure you've got the right mindset. Make sure that you understand your relationship with him, that you're not coming to him as a servant or an outsider or a stranger. You are his son. You are his daughter. There is nothing that God wouldn't do for you. Jesus goes to great lengths throughout his ministry to explain how good God is. At one point he says in Luke um, to a bunch of guys, he says, hey, hey guys, um, let's, let me run a scenario past you. Josh, if, if you had a kid and he came up to you and he's like, dad, I'm starving. I'm so hungry. Have you got any bread? Would you be like, yeah, and then give him a rock? And all the guys are like, no, we wouldn't do that, Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know you wouldn't. What if, um, what if you've been out fishing all day and you came back with a huge catch of fish and your daughter came up and she's like, Dad, I'm so hungry, can I have a fish? Would you go, yeah, and then throw a snake in her face or a slice of cheese on her head? Like, you know, if you weren't here for the notices, that statement would have made no sense. Um, and they all laugh and go, no, no, we'd never do that. And he goes, yeah, right, you'd never do that because, because you're their dad. And then he says, and you suck. <laughs> Basically, he says, compared to God, you're terrible parents. That's what Jesus says. And even terrible parents, he, he literally says, though you are evil, you understand that that's not the way you raise up kids. Like on our best day as parents, on our absolute best day as parents, we don't even scratch the surface of how good a God our God is, right? And so you have to approach him with that mindset. And then you also recognize that, hey, there's nothing that God can't do. He lives outside of time. He's big. He's powerful. He's, you know, I had this revelation the other day, and this is going to sound stupid because oftentimes other people's revelations do sound stupid. But I was walking down the road and I was praying, and I just had this thought, I'm like, I'm praying to the same God that Joshua in the Bible prayed to. Whoa. I'm praying to the same God that Moses prayed to. Like when Moses was stressing out about how to lead his people, I've got like a hundred, he had like two million. When he was praying to God, like, how do I do this? And God was like, do this or do that. That's the same guy. He hasn't changed. And he's outside time. So to him, that like just happened or hasn't happened yet or is happening right now. Ugh. Right? And, and, and the rest of my walk, I was just lost in this idea that we have access to the same God that we read about in the Bible. The same God that had these conversations. And it just... Man, it was awesome. I had a great time. I can't remember anything that he said because I was so wrapped up in this idea. Right? He's huge. There's nothing he can't do, right? And then the fifth thing we do, hallowed be your name, we declare it. We worship him. Here's the issue that, I'll finish with this. Here's the issue that a lot of us have when we pray is that when we pray, we have a big problem and a little God. And then what we do is we talk about our big problem to our little God. And by the time we finish, our big problem is even bigger than it was before because we've given it all of that oxygen. 
You know, uh, what you focus on expands. This is a well-known life fact. It's not the spiritual thing. It is a well-known life fact. What you focus on expands. The more you focus on something, the more oxygen you give it, the more aware you become of it, the bigger it gets in your life. And so the problem that most of us have when we pray is that when we pray, we give the bulk of our energy and attention and focus to the problem instead of to the problem solver. Jared's talked about this a little bit, you know, in the messages that he's delivered about how, you know, God said to him, stop talking to me about your problems and start talking to me about me. And so when we pray, what, what I will always try and do is I will try and uh, magnify, which is a word that we use in the Bible, right? We use it in Christendom. I'm going to magnify the Lord. What does magnify mean? It literally means to expand, to make bigger, right? To, you hold a magnifying glass over it. And so I will recognize that at times I have made my God very little because my problems got so big. My problems seem so much bigger than God. And the solution is not to take this huge problem to this little God and say, well, what are you going to do about this? The solution is to magnify my God to the point where he becomes so big that my problem becomes so little that it's not even an issue anymore. And I, I'm being honest when I say this. I very rarely, very rarely will I ever pray about a problem that I have. doesn't mean I don't have problems. But what I do is I get out there and I'm like, okay, I've got a problem here and it's stressing me out. It's causing me to lose sleep or I'm carrying anxiety around it or I've got some sort of emotional reaction to it. It's a problem. I'm not saying it's not a problem. But... The Bible's very clear. God knows that I have that problem. So I don't need to tell God about it. He already knows I've got it. The Bible's also very clear that he loves me, so I don't need to convince him to help me with this problem. So I don't need to do that. The problem I have is that this problem is huge in my life, and God is not huge in my life right now. And so what I'll do is I'll park the problem, and I will just spend my time and energy worshiping God, lifting him up, telling him how awesome he is, reminding myself of how powerful he is and how, what a great job he's doing and how he's God. And he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I'll start walking down my road with a problem that's significant and a little God because I've let him get little in my life. And then by the time I get to the end of the road, it takes me about half an hour to get to the stop sign and I might go past one car. By the time I get there and I turn around to come back, I'm like, God... I'm that's not even a problem anymore, right? Like, you're so huge, and you love me so much, and you're so in control of my life. Uh, I have a truth statement that I use, which is God takes 100% responsibility for a life 100% devoted to him. Or another way you could say it is God takes total responsibility for a life totally devoted to him. I don't need to convince God to get involved in my life. If I've given him my life, he's involved in it. Does that make sense? Right? So when I pray, I, I would, if you said to me, Josh, give me a percentage, less than 10. Less than 10% of my total prayer life is talking to God about issues that I have. I ask God for a lot of stuff. I always ask God for wisdom because the Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, he can ask for it and God will give it to him generously without finding fault. I'm like, that's, I'm up for that. If you're going to give it to me generously and you're not even looking for a reason not to give it to me, then I'm going to ask for that. I ask God for wisdom often. I, I pray the prayer of Solomon. Uh, you know, Solomon said, give me wisdom so I can lead your people well. I pray that prayer. Give me wisdom so I can lead well. Um, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I didn't used to, but I, I just fell in love with it during our prayer series. And it's so perfect. 
If you never know, if you're stuck with what to pray, you don't know what to pray, then just work through that. It's only like three verses. My kids have memorized it. It's not hard. And so I'll pray that every day because it's just, it's just what Jesus said to do. Um, and, and then when I pray, I will mostly worship him, lift him up, magnify him, make him big. Does that make sense? Cool. So what I want you to do is I want you to just break into groups of three or four people, and we're going to finish with this, only because what we've discovered is that if we kind of end the service and everyone goes out and does their stuff, then a lot of what we've talked about kind of just evaporates out. But if you just take five or ten minutes to kind of solidify what's been talked about, have a bit of a conversation, it sticks in there a lot longer. Is that cool? So we're doing it to uh, essentially make this whole time more effective for you. So we'll whack some music on, Nathan, Caitlin, and just, yeah, just turn around, find four or five people. There's no questions, but just be like, hey, what... Out of those five things, what was the thing that you found most helpful? What's an area that you would say, oh, you know, I do that well, but maybe I could do that one better? If you disagree with anything, bring that up in your group. So I feel like Josh was a bit off with that one. Just don't tell me. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. So let's do it. Yeah, just turn around, find groups of four or five people, work some music on. Thanks, guys. What worked? What didn't work? What are you gonna, what's your big takeaway? What's the one thing that you're going to do differently this week in your prayer life?